You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Week two of No Kirk. I think we're all starting to miss him. We're ready for some banter. We're ready for Kirk's analogies to balance out my analogies. We're ready for it all. But he's not here. And so we're going to pick right it back up where we left off. My favorite workouts. Workouts that I believe are tried and true, workouts that have worked for me for years, workouts that have worked for others for years. And last time we talked about Bigfoot, and then we talked about the Hobie Tempo. Both are fantastic workouts. Both can be used for OCR or not OCR. And this week we're going to go with two of my other workouts. So if you look, if you took a look back at my training log for the past, let's say, 10 years, These two workouts I'm about to say today are probably in the top three or four most completed workouts over the course of this decade. Uh, Maybe four or five. Bigfoot is probably not in the top five because it's more of a race tool. It's a specific workout that I use as I get closer to races. And that Hobie Tempo is, I do it off-season at a bit of a slower pace, and then I do it in-season at a bit of a faster pace. But I don't do them quite as often as these two workouts I'm about to describe. So here we go, right into it. No fluff. Another short intro, short episode. Workout number one. This probably is my most completed workout, and that is the 30-30 workout. Now, most often when we talk about the 30-30 workout, we are talking working at somewhere between, so right around two mile pace, uh, somewhere between mile and 5k pace for 30 seconds, and then total rest for 30 seconds. This is not that workout. This is what I would call 30-30 advanced or 30-30 plus. I do this workout and love this workout every single time. And what this workout does is it takes the intensity, dials it back slightly, but really raises up the rest period to where you're not really resting, you're working while recovering. And while recovering, you're really only recovering your heart rate down slightly. So I first did this workout... I don't know, seven years ago, maybe. And the way I've done it has changed over time. But what I'm going to describe today is the flat version and the uphill version of the 3030 plus or the 3030 advanced. So the way this workout works, the way I execute this workout is you start with 30 seconds at or above your lactate threshold. And how far above you go is really up to you. It really is determined by how long you want the workout to be, and that's it. So the recovery is always going to be about the same. And what I call that is marathon pace or marathon effort. Whether you're going flat or whether you're going uphill, right around marathon effort is where the recovery of this workout lies. So this isn't even really a float. This isn't a recovery-paced run or an easy aerobic-paced run. This is, at worst, this is high-end aerobic. 
maybe even slightly above for some people, depending on how fast you are at a marathon. So your off period is pretty moderate in your effort. And then your on period is just guided by how long you want to go. So in the classic way of doing this, for example, training for the uphill athlete, that book in there has it, uh, a Killian workout. This is one Killian's done. John Albin talked to us about this workout on his po- on the podcast he did with us. You work at uh, above threshold for 30 seconds and then at a rate underneath it for 30 that just allows your heart rate to drop five to seven beats. And you do that until you can't keep that anymore, until you feel your power and pace begin to drop. And they start with, I think it's two by six minute rounds with recovery in between. Then they build up to two by 15 and they want to shoot for one continuous 25 minute round, basically over under lactate threshold, slightly over, slightly under. So the odds are pretty intense if you're only doing six minute rounds to begin with. With 30 on, 30 off, that's one minute per round. That's just six rounds of 30 seconds. You're going above lactate threshold and then coming slightly under it. So that's the classic way that they've done it. I don't generally do it in rounds like that, mostly because I don't have uninterrupted climbs like that. I could do it on my treadmill, but the way the Nordic track works is if we're going at 30% or 20% incline, It takes so much time to move between the two that at least half of your work and rest intervals are spent with the treadmill adjusting. And that's really defeating the purpose of this workout. When you're only getting 30 seconds worth of a bite at either side of the apple, you want that bite to be a full bite. You don't want to nibble around to one side and then nibble around. No, you want to spend time in one place or in the other. Above lactate threshold or right below it. And you want to get to it and from it very, very quickly and get there as soon as possible so you can sit in that and maximize your 30 seconds. So the workout. The way I do it is I find one of two things. I either find the longest hill I can find regardless of what the incline is. Just the longest. So for me, that's a one-mile hill and it averages about 11%. I think it gains 440 feet of vert over the course of one mile. It's a trail. It has steeper sections. It has flatter sections. It just is what it is and I run to the top. 30 seconds hard, 30 seconds moderate, 30 seconds hard, 30 seconds moderate until I reach the top. Then I rest short at the top, usually about 30 to 60 seconds, and then I flow down the hill to the bottom. Not all out bomb, but certainly not running easy either. Like race pace to the bottom, trying to be as relaxed, but purposely fast as possible. So it's not gasping, pinwheeling my arms tense. It is flowing the hill as fast as possible. Then I get to the bottom. That's my break. I take anywhere from one to three minutes at the bottom, and then I do another round. And I do that until my pace up breaks. So I time myself to the top. And when I really start to deviate from the amount of time it takes to get to the top, then I'm done. If it's early in the season, it might be determined by how trashed my legs are getting to the bottom of the hill. But a six-minute hill rep that gains 440 feet of vert for me is taking seven to eight minutes as a hard effort up it. So these are seven to eight-minute rounds. I generally try to hit three early on. So I'm hitting 21 to 24 minutes of this over-under threshold style work. Plus, I'm getting the descents. Now, the last one isn't always a fast one, especially early in the season. With three reps, I'm probably hitting too fast. A third is much more controlled as like a recovery effort down because my legs are trashed. With the the Killian version, the uphill athlete version, they're trying to get 25 to 30 minutes of work spent climbing. 
but they have mountains that they can climb for an hour straight up or two hours straight up. So they're not limited by their terrain. I'm limited by my terrain. So I do it more of a rep based type type workout. The other way Kirk and I have done it is on a ski hill. We have a 1200 meter slope. That's the biggest one we can find. And that one gains, I think it's around 700 feet of vertical gain in 1200 meters. So significantly steeper. We do 30, 30, 30, 30 to the top. We try to go faster than race pace. Reset down to just right at about race pace, faster than race pace, race pace. And at the time we were preparing for the Spartan race world championship, which is about a two, two and a half hour race. So two hour race pace is the slowest we're moving, which again, correlates pretty nicely to marathon effort or marathon pace. And then above lactate threshold on the ons. So 30 seconds above lactate threshold, call it maybe 10K race pace or 5K race pace, and then back down to marathon. 8K race pace, marathon. 8K marathon. You make it spicier by going 5K or 3K pace, and then it's just harder to get more reps in. If you wanted to turn it into a three-hour workout, you're probably going half marathon pace, marathon, half marathon, marathon, and then you're taking longer rest in between. But you can, uh, you can make this workout go as long as you want to go by determining how much over my marathon-paced recovery am I going on the ons. And with that one, Kirk and I would go all the way to the top. That rep, I think, would take about, I don't know, four to five, probably five minutes. And then we would bomb down and probably overran it on the way down because we are prepping for a world championship and we're really focusing our descending and taking a beating on the descending. So then we'd have to work back up on the next one in a more depleted nature. Again, that's a variation from the classic Killian version, but it was applicable to what we were trying to do as athletes right there. So the key with this is making sure you're changing gears and recovering slightly. It doesn't mean you're recovering to be able to hit the next rep fresh. It's you're lowering your heart rate down so that you can raise it back up again. And it works on a couple things. Obviously, it's working on buffering lactate. It's obviously working on your uh, your cardiovascular system working at a very high end. It's obviously working on turnover while climbing, but it's also working on gear changing during a race. And because the on, in theory, you're choosing an on pace that is significantly faster than what you're going to climb at during a race, you're using a much more aggressive stride. It's not like running on the road where you can run what looks like a very similar stride, whether you're running 5K pace or 10K pace or 15K pace. The stride looks pretty similar. When you're running up 20 or 30% incline, your stride changes drastically with just a small amount of pace increase. And so you're using a much more aggressive stride to fight gravity and propel yourself up the hill so that when you reduce down to marathon pace, it feels like a greatly reduced stride. And then on race day, your stride feels much easier because you're used to working at an advanced stride up it. So that's another key component of this workout. So the 30-30 advanced uphill. Try to accumulate 20 to 30 minutes of work. Early on, 15 minutes is fine. If you look at the uphill athlete, early on they're doing two by six minutes. 12 minutes of work with recovery in between. It's not a huge workout, but that shows the emphasis they're putting on with how hard above that recovery pace, which at this is really high end aerobic pace at the worst, how much harder you're working. So you're running with purpose up there. Kirk and I have done this workout on a ski hill where we ran at 30% and then power hiked on the off. And we tried to keep race pace power hiking on the off 
and then running on the on. No matter what the grade did, even when it got really steep, if it was an on, we were running. And that allowed us to work on the skill of power hiking and running stuff you normally wouldn't run at the same time of getting a great workout in. So it's a pretty variable workout. It can adapt to different terrains and different inclines. And really, it's all about working faster than your threshold, working faster than your intended race pace, and then settling down and dropping your heart rate at your race pace or slightly less than. I think the way Albin explained it to us the first time was he likes to run uphill at his intended race pace or effort and then surge above that for 30 seconds and then back down to race effort or intensity. That's a very difficult way of doing it, but again, it makes the race effort itself feel so much more manageable. All right, that is the uphill version. The flat is a little different. I got this one, I don't even know where. Uh, I read it in an article back in the day, talking about some U.S. Olympic athletes who used this workout to get ready for the anaerobic demands of their race heading up to a nasty 5K or 10K, a real high-level 5K or 10K. And they did the 30-30 advanced where you run 30 seconds at 3K pace, 30 seconds at 10K pace, back and forth until you crack. Now, they might not have done those exact paces, but I'm fairly certain that's about the the effort that we settled in. So basically, um, I think the first couple times I did it on trail, it was 30 seconds at threshold, 30 seconds at 3K, 30 seconds at threshold, 30 seconds at 3K. So you're never running slower than lactate threshold, somewhere between 10K and 15K pace for most people. And then you're on is 3K, which is like two mile race pace. So you're working significantly harder than you would almost ever work, at least pace wise in this workout. And then resetting back and settling in and trying to drop your heart rate while running more like lactate threshold. 3K, 15K, 3K, 15K, 3K, 15K, until you can't hold your pace. So this one is a pace dependent. So if you're doing this on the track, you're timing yourself and making sure that you're working. If you're doing this on the trails, you're watching your average pace and you're making sure that if you're running this at six minute pace and seven back and forth, you must hit six and seven and you sell out to hit those paces. This is not a, when I feel my power start to go or I feel my form start to break down, I call it workout. No, this is a, I dig to hit the paces as long as possible. And when I first did this workout, I started out by trying to hit it as long as possible without actually racing. I would hit those paces. I think I was trying to hit 515 and 530 back and forth. 515, 530, 515, 530. And then as soon as it got to the point where I was going to have to change my stride and I was getting really ragged to try to keep it, that was the end. And then I jogged for five minutes and I tried it again. And then I jogged for five minutes and tried it again. And I think round one, I went six rounds, round two, five rounds, and then round three, I think two rounds and then called it. This is a very demanding workout. And then by the end, I think I got 11 straight rounds at those paces at the end of a six week block. I did this as every other workout. So the, the, and I'm forgetting who the female athlete was that did this, who I read about, but she did it as her last three workouts before a race. And the last one was done like four days out and they did it two rounds. And then the last one was one round, but just really only like 10 minutes of spicy work and then done, but you sold out for those work. So she did it as workout three, two, one, and then race day. She clumped it all in. I used it a little bit more spread out at the time, but I've used it both ways since. But this flat ground version is emphasizing perfect stride 
as long as you can keep it while maintaining the pace and the pace is mandatory. And what that does is it takes you way above lactate threshold. Because 3K pace for the best people in the world, you're looking at the like 720-ish range. I think 722 right around there is the world record. And for the average, let's say you're a a 25-minute 5K runner, well, half of that is, uh, what would that be? 2K would be something like 12 minutes or something, so right around there. So you're talking anywhere between 7 and 12 minutes for most people in there. 3K pace, 12-minute race pace is very, very demanding. And then to settle back down to 10K or 15K pace, it's just still demanding. So going back and forth like that is a very high-intensity workout. So you don't want to do this workout too many times. You don't want to do it too often. You don't want to stress yourself like this. And it's low volume. So if you do it too often, you're what you you're start to get into t- being tempted with is, well, I only got 15 minutes of work today. I've got to go get more work done after this in a different modality or in some other venue or even just a long cool down. And then you start messing around with working too hard, not recovering enough because you're still trying to hit volume. So it's best done priming yourself before a race so that you don't worry about missing out on volume because you're already starting to reduce volume anyway in preparation for your race. So this 30-30 plus or 30-30 advanced on the flats is more of a fine tuning workout. And it's really good as a middle road workout. Kirk and I talked on here a while back that treating short, uh, fast twitch and slow twitch athletes the same way is kind of a mistake, especially when you're trying to peak. A slow twitch athlete really, really generally responds well to doing fast, intense, faster than VO2 max work before any sort of competition, even long competition, it really spikes their metrics and makes them feel primed and ready to roll on race day. But a fast twitch athlete working in their wheelhouse at a very fast pace doesn't really stir up their water a bunch. It doesn't propel them forward because they're they're already good at that, but it forces them to reduce volume a little bit and it can actually start to erode at their aerobic capacity. And so they're oftentimes better served at doing more threshold style work, longer, grindier workouts before a longer race, because it ramps up that specific metric for them right when they're about to need it. So what this workout does is a bit of both. It is a short workout. You're not doing a ton of volume in the workout. In fact, you're doing very little volume. Even if you were a monster at this and you did two by 10 minute rounds, well, that's still only 20 minutes of work. And I don't know anyone that could go 3K, 10K back and forth for uh, two by 10 minutes. That that would just be outrageous. You'd have to be a huge aerobic monster with a very slow 3K pace to be able to do such a thing. So these are these these workouts are short. There's a small amount of work, but they're continuous. So even someone like myself, who's more of a fast twitch based athlete and loses aerobic conditioning very quickly when he starts doing highly anaerobic work. This is also a form of a staying power workout for me because I can I can do this workout and execute it well, but I still get a 10 or 11 minute interval in there. And so it's still helping to push up my lactate threshold at the same time it's working on that very, very spicy, high intensity work. So it's a good hybrid workout in in terms of you could give it to a whole group of athletes and you would probably be safe knowing that none of them are going to be negatively impacted by this workout. 
Some of them might respond better than others, but there's not going to be a large disparity here. So I really like the flat version of this workout as much as I like the uphill, but I certainly do the uphill version more because it is less intensity because you're not trying to do just one 10 minute round by the end of this and be done. You're trying to accumulate 20 to 30 minutes of work. And because it's less impact, running uphill is always easier on your body. And then you still do get to work on the skill of the downhill. So it can be done as more of that 10, 11 minute, one rep range, but it's just as, as effective for the uphill athlete doing it, trying to accumulate more of that 20 to 30 minute volume. So 30-30 advanced, very, very effective workout and one that I do all the time. And now we're going to steer more towards OCR for this next one, but there is a modification to this workout that means that it will be very good for the trail ultra mountain running crowd, especially those who struggle running after they've climbed a hill. So this is KDE. Now KDE was designed specifically for OCR. I've been doing this one since 2012 as well. And it is a 2-5-2 workout, two minutes of something fatiguing, five minutes of flat running, and then two minutes recovery. And those first two minute, that two minute buy-in of something fatiguing, this is where the workout gets to be adapted to the athlete. And then the five minutes is pretty standard. You're trying to run somewhere between lactate threshold and aerobic threshold, depending on what event style you're training for, what part of your training block you're in, and really how much work you want to get during that session. If you're trying to do more towards 10K or 15K pace on that five minutes interval there, you're not going to get more than four or five reps in. But if you're running at a marathon pace, you can get 10 rounds in and get a good body of work in for the day. So the purpose of the workout will really determine how fast you run it, but it's around threshold, somewhere between aerobic threshold and an anaerobic threshold, somewhere in there. And this is I know that sounds very gray area, but again, you're going to adapt it to how many rounds you're trying to hit. You fill your time with the effort that you can keep. That's how this workout works. And then the two-minute buy-in is really the, the driver of this workout. So what this workout is designed to do is improve your ability to run under duress. This is a compromise running workout through and through because two minutes is a long time to compromise yourself before you have to run. So the way I originally did this workout was with sled push and pull. I would push a sled for 10 minutes forward, and then I would run for five minutes at goal Spartan beast pace, which was 13 mile race pace at the time. So half marathon race pace, that's firmly in the slightly slower than lactate threshold range right there. Two minutes of slevy, of a slevy, heavy sled push, five minutes at half marathon pace, two minute recovery. And I would do that until my pace started to really degrade on the run. Now the work on the sled degraded almost from the start. Round one, I was kind of running and pushing the sled, jogging against it for most of the time. By round two, I was, I was pretty much just power hiking against it. And by round three, I was taking breaks. That's fine because I wasn't doing this to get better at sled pushing because there was no high rocks. There was no hybrid racing back then. The sled was just a tool to blow out my quads and my glutes. That was all I was trying to do because then I wanted to get off and run like I had just got done with something extremely fatiguing on my quads and glutes, maybe a thousand foot climb, maybe rolling mud, barbed wire crawl, heavy carry and a 500 foot climb. Whatever it was, it was designed to help me crest that feeling and recover while running well. 
So your first 30 to 60 seconds of the run, you feel like hot garbage. But then you get better after that, and each round you find your version of how to work through that. So generally five to seven rounds is what I recommend for KDE. Five to seven rounds is demanding. You can start with three to four, but the goal is to get up to five to seven. And if you go above that, you're probably not working at that intended pace anymore. You're going a little slower or you've just become a monster at this. And it's probably time to shake up what you're doing in those two minutes. So when I originally did it, I'd push for two minutes, run, rest for two minutes, and then walk backwards and pull the sled backwards and then forwards with it behind my back, arms behind me, dragging the sled forward and then pulling backwards. I'd go like 30 seconds each way for two minutes and then run. So sled push and then pull, sled push and then pull. Those are my different rounds. The way to make that much more difficult then would be to load up the sleds heavier. And now... I have to pull my pace back again on the runs because even though I got better at that workout, now I'm blowing my legs up again. So the point is to actually blow your legs up. Another way to do this for non-OCR is to do it on a treadmill. If you have an inclined trainer or if you have a, a stair mill, you go uphill for two minutes at a demanding incline and a demanding pace. Then you get off and run for five minutes. So it's very specifically cresting a long mountainous climb where your quads are just burning, and now you've got to get off and run flat. That can replicate descending well or just running flat trail after blowing out your legs going uphill. And then you also do just get better at power hiking and running uphill by the nature of doing this. But again, getting better at the work is not necessarily the goal of the workout. It's getting yourself to a depleted state no matter what it takes and then getting better at the run after being depleted. So as you progress through this, this is not a workout that's necessarily designed to keep the sled the same and get better at the overall workout. No, you want to kill your legs. So if if week one, I was doing a 200 pound sled push and by week four, I had already hit seven rounds and I'm running faster. It's time to go to a 300 pound sled push because we're not trying to get off the sled feeling good because we've improved at the sled. Our goal is to use the sled as a tool to hurt us and then move into the run. One of the best possible ways of doing this is walking lunges. Starting simply with two minutes of body weight walking lunges is enough for most runners that you will feel like you just got done with a very mountainous section and now you have to go run. Most runners are not good with hip and glute engagement. Walking lunges, you can't really fake it. So it's a good exercise to use and then those are so easily weighted. You don't need a sled, you don't need hundreds of pounds. Going from bodyweight walking lunges to holding 10-pound dumbbells is a significant increase for most runners. Putting a little sandbag on your back or a weight vest on or anything, holding a water jug while walking lunging for two minutes is going to blow you up. In fact, you're probably going to have to take rest periods throughout this early on. And that's okay because just to reiterate, the purpose of these two, these two minutes is not to come off feeling like I'm in better fitness than I used to. No, it's to come off feeling, I always feel this crappy coming off here, and now I have to work on running through this crappy feeling. Because on race day, you don't feel better or reset on each hill. Generally, unless you're fantastic at pacing and a monster, your climbs throughout a race get worse feeling. 
even if you can match the pace, your your legs start to fill up in fatigue and the downhills really start to beat you up. And the second half of the course, the climbs really take a toll on you and you don't feel fresh getting to the top. So you don't ever want to feel fresh on this. Every step you take during this workout can be in a compromised place. So you might only run, let's say you do five rounds of five minutes of run and you're running 12, let's say you get a thousand, let's say you're just getting maybe even a full mile. You're a monster. You are a world-class compromised runner and you ran a mile in five minutes each time. That's only five miles of work. But every single inch of those five miles was compromised, which means it's like eight to 10 miles worth of conditioning because you didn't have to run five or six miles of terrain to get yourself to that point. You got to hit it in a fatigued state while fresh. And there's a lot of power to that where every rep counts. It's not like running 16 by 400 where the first eight are just foreplay, getting you to the point where you're fatigued. And then like the last four are really tough. No, every step of this workout is really tough. That's the, just the money of this workout comes from making sure that you are compromised starting every single rep. So what those two minutes look like can really, really be personalized. If you're just training for trails, maybe you're doing two minutes straight of really fast jump roping. That is going to exhaust most runners, but it gets you ready for the, the plyometric demands, the lateral movement, the stabilizers, the calf engagement, all of that of trail running. And now you get off and run. It could be body weight air squats. It could be walking lunges. It could be lunge step backs, not even going to depth, but just two minutes or pulsing. Pulsing in a in an air squat for two minutes could be enough for you. It could be sled push. It could be sled pull. It could be a row machine. It could be spin bike. It could be stairmaster. It could be incline trainer. It could be running up a flight of stairs for two minutes, and then at the top you start your five minute flat run. It doesn't matter to me what the compromising two minutes looks like. It matters to you what your body feels like coming out of those two minutes. Does that make sense to everyone? It is almost limitless with what you choose. It could be heavy carry. It could be a double carry. It could be farmer's carry. You just want to deplete yourself. And there is no shame in weighing down as the workout goes on. So I have very specific memories of being in the Wisconsin Dells with Lisa's family on a family vacation. And I did KDE. And I brought a truck tire with a, an eye bolt in it with a rope attached to it and then grabbed bags of salt from the basement in this house. And I brought a few sandbags along and I loaded them all in there on round one. I probably had 180 pounds in this truck tire and I started out cranking and I felt like, oh, this is good. I came off here blown up, but I can do this again. And I ran and I got done and I started round two and immediately had to stop and throw 25 pounds out of this thing. And then I was able to complete. And by the end, I was down to about 80 pounds in this tire. I'd gone from 180 something down to 80. I'd thrown 100 pounds out of here because that's what was required to get through those two minutes. I was still coming off of there trashed. And so that's not losing. That's not having a negative workout. That is success. That was making sure that my two minutes of work was filled with work with as little rest breaks as possible and making sure that I was coming off to the first step of each five minute run in a pretty comparable compromised fashion. Okay, so you can weigh down in this. If something's blowing you out, you can switch exercises at any point. 
you do not have to stick to the same two minutes. The point is to blow yourself out in a sustainable manner. You don't want to be so trash that you can't do your five minutes. But what you want to do is get yourself to the point where the first 30 to 60 seconds of the five minutes feels like, how am I ever going to get up to pace? And then you find yourself up to pace and your heart rate is starting to, to drop down a little bit. So that's the point. You want to fight for 30 to 60 seconds and teach your body to recover within that time period. It may not fully recover and that's fine. That's the purpose of doing this workout. So KDE, two minutes of work, five minutes of running, two minutes of recovery. Can you be flexible on those two minutes of recovery? Absolutely. If you get four rounds done and you really want to hit five, but you're blown out, take an extra minute of recovery. That's okay because the purpose of this workout is not to stay on a perfect schedule. It's to arrive to the next rep, compromised, but ready to run. KDE. It's a beautiful workout. If you have questions about these two workouts, reach out and let us know. If you're on our running plan, the training peaks for the running public running plan or OCR plan, you've already seen some of these workouts and you're going to continue to see them. So hopefully people have a good idea now of how you're going to implement that into your own training. Enjoy, and we'll see you for the Friday long run. 